My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Becoming a tradition where I keep forgetting to turn my mic on after we do the Advent thing. So next week, we'll, uh, one more week, we'll get it right. This week, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin there as our starting point. If you'd like to join us, um, I know that the, the song that we sang that, to close, um, Reckless Love, sometimes people can get hung up on that word reckless and, and our understanding of God with that specific word. And, and how does that word actually fit into what we know about God? And, and the understanding of that, that is, of course, this idea that, that from our perspective, to love like God would, would be reckless. That, that we, we, we would look at the way he loves us and go, goes, He's crazy. He shouldn't love like that. He shouldn't, he shouldn't love that way. And hopefully this morning, actually, as we walk through our, our text this morning, as we walk through all the things we got to share, we will, will hopefully be able to even come to a greater understanding of, of just what this love looked like and, and what it looks like for God to love us. But this week, we're going to continue to look at the question, what's so great about Christmas? Um, we come to, to this time of year, and for many people, they will say, oh, it's my favorite time of year. It is, it is my favorite part of the year. I mean, the song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, but we're taking some time to remember and to be reminded of just what it is that makes Christmas and the miracle of Christmas so amazing. And last week what we talked about was we, we talked about how what we see in Christmas, the, the picture that, that we can be reminded of in Christmas is the fullness and the faithfulness of God in Christmas. It's, it's the promises kept that makes Christmas so special. And, and this week I want to talk again about another big concept, another big idea of, of what makes Christmas so special. And, and to do that, what we're going to do this morning is, is we're going to try to answer a specific question. We're going to try and answer a big question. We're going to try and answer the question, why do we have Christmas anyway? What I mean is, is why did it happen like this? Why, why is this how it happened? Why did it happen this way? Why did God send someone? Why did God have to send Jesus? And why did God cram himself into a human body? And even more than that, why did God come as a baby? The Apostle Paul, as he's reflecting and writing about Christmas and writing about the coming of Jesus, writes this about Jesus and, and his coming. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why show up like all the rest of us? Why, why show up as one of us? And, and he shows up as a baby under the law, not, not as like a new law unto himself. He doesn't show up and, and walk onto the scene and say, hey, everybody, 
There's a new sheriff in town. Everything you knew to be true, it's not true anymore. Or at least he doesn't show up and say, everything you know to be true doesn't apply to me. I'm bigger. I'm above that. He shows up under the law, accountable to the law. But Paul says what was going on when, when the time was just right, when everything was perfectly ready, God sends his son, born of a woman, born under the law for a very specific purpose. So why did God send Jesus? What, why did God send Jesus this way? Why did God do Christmas? Well, the next verse says that he sent, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, that we might become the children of God. It was to do what laws and regulations in and of themselves could never do. It was to do what judges and prophets could not do. It was to do what exiles and, and punishments could not do. God was, look, God was not looking at nations and tribes and people groups anymore. God wasn't looking to do something in people he was looking to do something in us, personally, intimately. God wanted to do something personally, so he had to do something personal. It was personal. So God came in person. It's one thing to say something. It's one thing to send a messenger with a message. But it's another thing to do something personal. It's one thing for God to say he's, he's with us. It's one thing for God to say he stands with us. It's one thing for a messenger to say God is with you. It's one thing for a messenger to say God stands with you. But it's another thing to know that God stands with you because God came and stood with you. We know where we stand with God because God came and stood with us. We know that God is with us, not just because he said, I'm going to be with you, but we know that God's with us because he came to be with us. Another messenger, another letter, another prophet was not going to be able to get it done. To do something personal, God had to come personally. So at just the right time, when the time had fully come, God gives us a demonstration. See, we talked about this last week, but, but thousands of years before Jesus was born, God promised he would do something through the line of Abraham. And thousands of years, at just the right time, Jesus is born. And 2,000 years later, after Jesus is born, here we are, still talking about it. And, and this is one of the things that's so significant. Because in the last 2,000 years, there have been world-changing, world-altering events that, are, that at the time were seemingly the most absolutely world-defining moments that history could ever imagine. 
and you know nothing about them. You have never even heard of them. You can't name the names. You can't name the dates. Even the biggest history buffs among us, and I know that there will be some who are the biggest history buffs among us, can't tell us everything that's ever happened. No matter how many years you've had your National Geographic subscription, no matter how many History Channel documentaries you've watched, you will not be able to tell us everything about everything that's ever happened. There are moments in history that at the time the people living them said, 2,000 years from now, people will be talking about this. And they're lost to history. We know nothing about them. We will never know anything about them. But yet... Here we have the birth of this poor Jewish baby in a backwater hick town, born in an animal pen. If ever there was an event to be lost to history, it's the birth of a nobody in the middle of nowhere. But somehow, someway, this baby becomes a household name because God gave us a demonstration. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul writes about it this way. In Romans 5.8, he says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God demonstrated it. He showed us it. He lived it out. He didn't just tell us. He didn't just say, but God gave us these words about his love. It doesn't just say that God said these things about his love. But God demonstrated. He showed it. He lived it out. God took on the action of love. And he showed us. He demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Now, you don't have to be a history buff to think to yourself, Jesus died a long, long time before I was alive. You probably don't need to be told that. You probably don't need to know that, that Jesus died long before your great, 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 great grandparents were even born. Never mind started sinning. But when Paul wrote this, Paul, Paul sees something profound. While I was still sinning, while I was still resisting, before I even knew that God had sent his son into the world, while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. Now, this was the, the Apostle Paul, and, and that's, that's the way that we know him. But, but he was also, if you don't know, Paul was also known as Saul. And Saul was on a personal mission to destroy the name of Jesus and his followers, arresting Christians, throwing them in jail, killing them. The reality is, Saul never wanted any of this. This is precisely what the mission and the life of Saul was dedicated to stopping. Was he did not want this. He did not want the name of Jesus to go any further than it had gone. 
And his goal, his mandate, his mission in life was to stop this before it could grow to anything resembling this. But Paul looks back on this part of his life and he thinks, God knew what I was doing. God knew my passions. God knew what it was that I woke up every day dedicated to doing. He knew what I was setting myself up to do. God looked and knew everything about my heart and my passion, everything that I was. And yet, while I was going to be the one who did all of that, while I was still a sinner, while that was still my heart, Christ died for me. But this brings us to another question. A question that, that maybe you've thought about. A question that, that maybe you've wanted to ask. A question that, that maybe even if you've been a Christian for a, wrong, a long time and someone was to ask you this question, you, you might have to say, I don't know. Or, or perhaps you're, you're not a Christian. And maybe this is part of the reason. Part of the reason you're not is because no one has ever really answered this question for you. Here's the question. Why did Jesus have to die? It's confusing enough that, that God would choose himself, choose on his own, choose his own reasoning to come and cram himself into the body of a baby. But why after that did he have to die? Why did he have to die such a violent and public death? Why all the blood? Why all the gore? I mean, why couldn't Jesus, who is God, just come out one day and pronounce everyone, now and forevermore, just pronounce us all forgiven? that he could have gathered everyone onto a hillside one day and, and said, one thing before I go. Everyone is forgiven. I've talked to dad, and he's cool with it. He wants me to tell you, you're all forgiven. Okay, go. But when Jesus says, God, if there's any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me, the cup doesn't pass from him. So, so why couldn't, why did it have to be this way? Why did Jesus have to be this way? Why couldn't he just say, we're all forgiven, let's go? Well, first off, no one would have believed him. And in fact, we, we can see this in the story of Jesus' life. A, a few times there, there's, there's these stories in, in, the, in the story of Jesus' life where, where he heals someone. He heals them of some kind of physical ailment or whatever. And, and then he says to them people, he says to the person who he healed, he will say to them, and by the way, your sins are forgiven. And even though the miracle itself is this mind-blowing moment that, that really should just be all everyone sees and can think about and, and even dwell on is, is this guy was blind and now he can see or he couldn't walk and now he can or, or whatever it may have been. But all anybody ever wanted to talk about after Jesus said your sins are forgiven was the forgiving of sins part. Because Jesus wasn't just forgiving someone who wronged him. See, it's okay to forgive somebody who wrongs you. You wrong me, I forgive you. That's good. 
we're good. This is all right. That's a lot. That if you hurt me, I can say you're forgiven and, and I've got the authority to do that. But Jesus would forgive someone not for something they had done to him, but for just for their sins in general. And when Jesus would look at someone who had done nothing to him, and Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven, the people who were religious, the people who understood the gravity of that, they would lose their minds. Because this guy, Jesus, he can't do that. And his words, if Jesus would have just gotten up one day and said, hey, you're all forgiven, no biggie, let's move on. His words would have never survived the first century because no one would have listened to him and no one would have taken him seriously. But there's something bigger than that. There, there's something more important than that. And I know, I know, it seems like we're straying pretty far away from Christmas this morning. That, that we've, we've kind of rabbit trailed and, and we've left Christmas in the dust and we're getting pretty close to Easter here. But trust me, we're, we're, on, our way, we're on our way back around. Here is the reason Jesus had to die. Here is the big reason why Jesus had to die. Here is the reason Jesus had to come as a baby. Here is the reason God sent his son into the world to grow up among us as one of us and to die such a violent death to demonstrate his love for us like this. The reason Jesus had to die is because God is the author of life. Life is sophisticated. Life is complex. Your bodies right now, in this moment, are doing so many things that you don't even know or understand or even how to make happen. How do you breathe? I don't know. You just do it. You... And then somehow it exchanges stuff inside your lungs and it absorbs the oxygen and then carbon dioxide. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make my body do that. We're still learning more and more all the time about how our bodies work. But God is the author of life. He is the author of your life. We read this in Acts chapter 3 as, as Peter is preaching this sermon to the people gathered around them. God, Jesus has told his, his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, and then we read in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does come upon them. And immediately they, Peter, Peter begins to preach this sermon. And in the middle of this, his sermon, he, he says this to the crowd of people gathered around him. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, he says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and you asked that a murderer be released to you, that, that the people were given the choice between Jesus who had done no wrong and Barabbas who was a murderer and the people chose Barabbas. They, they chose for Jesus to be put in jail to be killed and for Barabbas to be set free. And then in verse 15, Peter says this to the people gathered around him, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And here's what I don't want you to miss today. Because this will help us, this will help you, this will help me, this will help us answer the question, what's so great about Christmas? 
When you dishonor the author of life, you dishonor the gift of life. In other words, you and I, we owe God our lives. But our disregard for God forfeits our right to life. See, because God is the author of life, because God is the author of your life and God is the author of my life, our lives should look something like this. Every single day we should get up and when our feet hit the floor, we should say to God, thank you for your life and whatever you have for me today, no matter how big, no matter how much it might cost, whatever you have for me, God, before you even ask, the answer is already yes. How in the world could we not, or could we say no to the God who gave us life? How in the world could I balk at the will of God for the one who gave me life? And yet, I do it every single day. See, here, here's the thing. You, you didn't get to choose your birth date. You didn't get to choose the moment, the time, and the place when you, when you came into this world. And you probably will not get to choose the day your life ends. But the author of your life gets to write those two dates. We, we don't get to decide them, but the one who writes the story of our life, the one who gave us life, the author of life, he knows exactly when they are. He knew the moment you would be born, and he knows the moment we'll go back home to be with him. But somehow... In between these two miraculous birth or bookends that frame our lives between our birth and our death, we shake our fists at God and we say that we know better than him. That we know better than he does. We say that, that we're going to do what we want to do the way we want to do it because somehow, even though you gave me this thing, I know more about it than you do. So I can't trust you with this. I can't do what you've asked me to do. When we dishonor the author of life, we dishonor the gift of life. Our, our disregard for God forfeits our right to life. But so we go back to this. If it was up there, it would say, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God sent his son into the world, into a baby's body, to grow up like us, among us, so that he could redeem what we could not and would not honor him with. Our lives. The author of life came to personally redeem our lives. 
We disregarded the author of life. We abused the giver. We deserve to lose the gift. We abused the supplier. We deserve to lose the supply. But the author of life demonstrates love for us by redeeming our lives. And God demonstrated his great love for us, for you, by redeeming your life. The only way a life can be redeemed through sacrifice. See, God gave us Christmas as, as the, the beginning of the part of his plan to demonstrate and document his love for this rebel people, this rebel creation. Otherwise, how would we have ever known? See, when the time had fully come, when, when everything was just the way it needed to be, like we talked about last week, when everyone had seemingly given up hope, when no one was looking for it, but when God's time had somehow fully come, there's this carpenter in this rough and tumble town called Nazareth. And he gets some very difficult news. The woman who he's supposed to marry the woman who he loves, the, the woman he's committed himself to, he finds out she's pregnant. He knows it's not his baby. He, he knows it's not his child, and, and so now his life is thrown into chaos. And, and he starts to walk down these different roads, trying to figure out what to do. Trying to figure out how, and how do I handle this? Do, do I shame her? Do I, do I declare to the world what's going on so that my name doesn't get brought through the mud? Do, do I protect her? Do, do, do we hide her away and, and protect her so that nobody knows? Do I lie? Should I, should I just say it's mine? What, what, do, do I marry her quickly? Let's just do it now and then, then we'll, we'll figure it out from there? In the life of Joseph, when everything was just the way it needed to be, even though Joseph couldn't fathom it in that moment, an angel of the Lord speaks to this man, Joseph, and, and this is what he says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. Joseph, the set time is fully come. The, the, the fullness of time has arrived. Joseph, everything is exactly the way it needs to be, and you need to know God is about to do something. God is going to do the thing that your people have been praying for since they became your people. God is about to do something huge. Everything is exactly right. You are going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord 
had said through the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is why we're here. This is what's so great about Christmas. This is, is where we really understand God, that, that God goes from this, this idea, this big God that exists out there somewhere, who spoke the universe into being and all of these amazing things, but, but he's out there. Suddenly, that God becomes personal becomes intimate, becomes God with us. How do we know that God is with us? Not because Isaiah said, his name's going to be Emmanuel, which will mean God with us, and so you'll know that. But because... We, we know that God is with us because God came to be with us. So that the world would know 2,000 years later that we would know despite our mess, despite our rebellion, despite our rejection, despite while we were still sinners, God came to be with us. And because God came to be with us, we know that God is with us. We know that God is for us. What makes Christmas so great is that we know, or that it's the moment that God stepped down from heaven into everything that makes us, us, born as a baby in a manger, to a mom and a dad. And he did this with a purpose, with a plan, with a direction to give us life again. The author of life came to redeem life and to give us new life again. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that as we come to this time, as, as we look at Christmas, as we celebrate Christmas, as at seemingly at every corner, at, at every place, at every moment, we're reminded of Christmas. God, I thank you that we don't celebrate just this birth of this baby that was pretty cool. God, I thank you that as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. We celebrate that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. God, I thank you that, that as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate these wheels being put into motion to bring about the salvation of all mankind. And so God, I pray that for each one of us gathered here today, as we know, as we can look at our lives, as I can look at mine, and I know we can look at all of ours, and, and we can say, I, I know that I've messed up. 
God, I thank you that the story of Christmas, the reality of Christmas, is that even though we were still sinners, even though we were still far away, even though Scripture will say we were enemies with you, God, I thank you that in the story of Christmas, what we have and what we see is the story of God coming to save us. The story of God coming to redeem us. The author of life coming to make a way for us to be born again. And so God, may May this Christmas serve as a reminder for us, God, both of how much we needed you and then how much we found in you. God, thank you for coming to save us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, HillsideAirdrie.ca click on about us in the main menu and then click on our pastors we're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of jesus christ with our community in airdrie and with you today at hillside church we are a family not by blood but a family that's been bought by blood and that family includes you as family we go